Hello, Tisha. Hi, Jen. Happy early birthday. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite my birthday yet, but No, no. started celebrating already because why not? Some of Tisha's friends organized a brunch that I was also invited to where we all dressed like Tisha. Amazing, guys. You have no idea what it's like to walk into a room and see a whole bunch of people dressed like you. I feel like you probably don't think you have a really specific aesthetic until something like that happens. Yeah, no, I don't think I have a specific aesthetic. I think I just look like a regular person, but... Well, you do look like a regular person, but, you, but a regular person who who favors blazers and cardigans and wears glasses and yeah. either has her curly hair down or in a ponytail or a braid. Yeah. You don't really think about it, but I, it was a total surprise. I thought there was just going to be like three women and they didn't tell me where we were going. So I messaged the night before and I said, uh, like, what should I wear? Is this like a jeans and t-shirt casual or should I like wear a blouse? Like what's up? And the response was dress like you. That's the theme. And I looked at my husband. I was like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Yeah. And I mean, the lack of curly haired wigs surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like, well, so then like the pressure was on. That never even came up to people, actually. Nobody said anything about it. It was just that we needed glasses. People were like a blazer, cardigan, you know, hair pulled back, you know, whatever. So funny. But the women who do have curly hair had, had busted it out. They did. Yes. The women who had naturally curly hair did bust it out. Yeah. Because that's like, I guess, part of my signature look. <laughs> I feel like when you have full or like, like really nice or specific hair. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because it's unique-ish, I guess. So yeah. that was totally fun though. But then I walked in and there were way more people than I expected. And it's interesting because then the pressure's on because I'm like, dress like me, dress like you. That's the theme. I'm like, well, what's the most me thing to wear exactly? Like, what would I wear to brunch? <laughs> <laughs> Which is like so ridiculous to like be thinking about what I would wear. Well, yeah, to have to pause and think that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I guess I do have some signature items. Yep. <laughs> You do. You do. Yeah. Her birthday, just so we all know, or this is actually like, it's a quite early. Her birthday is on Halloween. Mm -hmm. Tisha's birthday, I will never, ever, ever forget because it is on Halloween. It's on a special day, so people remember, right? I mean, I try to be really good about remembering birthdays anyway, but it's definitely an easy one. I do think sometimes in the chaos of the day, though, People forget. Like as moms, yeah. sometimes maybe people forget because we're just busy doing kids makeup and costume and trick-or-treating and all of that. Yeah, yeah. It was the most fun birthday growing up. I bet. And even like in my 20s prior to having kids because they're yeah. always like amazing. There's always a party. You don't have to plan yeah. anything. <laughs> like it was always great. Um, and then becoming a teacher and working on my birthday, it's like pure chaos in schools. And then coming home and doing the whole trick-or-treating thing. It's like not, uh, it's not as exciting anymore, but such is life. So I try to like celebrate the day before, the day after. So my birthday is coming up. Yes. And I just think if anybody wanted to 
give me a birthday gift. I would love an Apple review for the Now What Pod. That would be amazing. That's what I would like. If you want to give Tisha a <laughs> gift that you're also giving yourself, you could shop our merch site too. Oh, yeah. Because then you're giving her a gift while also getting something for yourself. That works. Doesn't it now? It does. Because we do have a merch site and the holidays are coming, guys. And there's definitely some stuff on there that makes amazing gifts for the holidays. Oh, I, I think, think so for sure. Yeah. 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 And like all different price points too. So like whether it's add-ons or whatever, you definitely want to peruse that. You can find it at nowapod.com. There's, oh, you can find everything. You can, you can submit to be on the show. You can listen to all our episodes. You can learn a little bit more about Tisha and I. Mm -hmm. You can also link over I think I did this. I'll make sure it's there by the time this episode launches. Link over to our media collective, Women in Progress Media, which we have all kinds of stuff happening over there, which is really exciting. Did you do anything else fun this weekend? No, not especially. I mean, Friday night, both of my kids got invited to a birthday party from like 4.30 till 9. And nice. it was amazing yeah and I literally came home and got in bed and watched Netflix and like my husband Ooh. went and picked up subs and I ate a sub and watched Netflix in bed and it was like the best Friday night ever <laughs> when you're in your 40s there's got to be a meme there somewhere I mean I agree with I, you but there's got to be a meme there somewhere I lived alone ate dinner in bed watched Netflix I mean, I don't know. It's it fantastic. Good. It works. It works. <laughs> so this week's episode is with Natalie, who is... Yeah. Who's who, Natalie? <laughs> who, and I, well, I guess we've recorded with Natalie before, but it's it's uh, Natalie who is local to us and was one of our... We, we kind of... I think we say it when we recorded. Um, she's like our first super fan. She was like the first person who like made themselves mm -hmm. known as listening to the show and the first person to come to our book who, like we didn't already know personally yes, yes. right like the yes. first person who kind of found us yes who wasn't like already a personal friend Yes, but the first person to come to our book club, which in case you missed it, we have a book club. We mm -hmm. are meeting next Tuesday, the Tuesday after this episode launches, and it's a really easy read. Not that I have done it yet, because, you know, that's how I roll. And everybody is welcome. But yeah, Nat was our first super fan, and she has a story to share that it's interesting. I feel like she's one of the people that we've had on it's common that we have people who come on feeling like their story isn't like big enough of a story to share but those are the ones that i think are the most relatable and the most common and are yeah. important to kind of normalize hearing and talking about and having the conversation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i love this conversation with matt yes it was very fun. yeah it was yeah. a lot of fun so i hope you guys love it too hey jen Hi, Tisha. <laughs> We're not recording an intro, you fool. I know. We have a guest tonight, silly. We have a guest? I know. Actually, we have a very special guest today, which is so exciting because we are being joined by Natalie Cholette. And fun fact, we run a 
book club in conjunction with the podcast. And we originally met her as part of our book club and we love her. And I feel like we're friends. I feel like we're friends. <laughs> Definitely. But I think I've only ever seen you in person mm. once. And that was like an accident because we do live in the same neighborhood, but right. everything we've done has been virtual because of like pandemic times but Nat is she's fabulous you guys are gonna love her she is a speech and language pathologist she has become a voice and a face that we know so well Nat also you've co-authored a book that's coming out in October October, right yes yes which is called Honest as a Mother so we will put links to where you can buy that book in our show notes as well anyways Welcome, Nat. We're so happy to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I think Natalie qualifies as like our first made it known to us fan. Oh, yeah. Like, Who like messages was like, hey, I love what you guys are doing. Yeah. And was, so was like true. consistently comment on things and engage and stuff. And I mean, who who knows like who our first fan actually is, but this is the first fan that we really knew about. Well, I've been a fan, definitely a fan of this podcast from the beginning because like you both and like this podcast represents I'm a big believer in the power of sharing stories and yeah. that's why I'm so happy to have the opportunity now to share my story so thank you for having me yes and yeah. before we got on you were talking about your story and I'm just gonna let you guys in audience that Natalie was like oh you know I don't have this like big story to share and you know the thing about this show is that we want to share all people's stories and like we we often have this idea of like you know someone has to have like this big trauma in order for it to count or to have this like major life change in order for it to count and that's just simply not true. I think we reference a lot when we talk about trauma and hard times. I think an easy story that we shared to, to kind of reference in conjunction to something that's less overt is Kaylee's story of birth trauma. Obviously, that was an incredibly traumatic birth. But then we always go back to this idea that all birth actually is traumatic in some way. And, and lots of births are traumatic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, but even if it doesn't appear that way on the outside. Right. And who are you to decide? It's just exactly. interesting. But I do think, Natalie, that your story is one that a lot of women in particular, I think, will relate to. And just the idea that you you had your like bout of imposter syndrome that I shut down <laughs> at the beginning. You guys, she got on and was like trying to talk us out of doing the interview, I felt like. Yes, that was exactly what happened. <laughs> It's like, I don't know if my story's really good enough. I don't think I should be doing this. Yeah, total imposter syndrome because I'm just an ordinary woman. I'm 47 now. And yeah, my story is not that remarkable, but it's mostly, you know, it mostly came from a series of life events that brought me to a point where I came to the realization that I had completely abandoned myself and that that started from a very early age. But since then, the journey before, well, once I started sharing my, my journey of what happened once I made that realization, and it wasn't an overnight realization, I became aware that other women 
were resonating with parts of my story, despite mm-hmm. our circumstances being very different. And that's when, you know, the wheels kind of started turning and I started realizing, wow, there's, and, and I started researching it more because I like to understand things. And, and I thought, you know, I think it's important to talk about these things because as women, and I, I think things are set up in a certain way. And of course, every generation is different. And I'm, I feel that things are changing for the better. I have two teenagers and hopefully, well, I'm hopeful that, that things are changing for the better, but I do think, you know, if, if, if there's more, because I really thought at the time that I was alone and there was a lot of shame around that, the fact that I, I allowed the self-abandonment to happen. There was a lot of shame, but speaking to other women who who then chiped in and said, oh, I kind of went through something like that too, or I'm feeling a little bit like that, made me feel less alone. And it's really nice to have support from a community. And that's what's so great about sharing stories. And I wanted to raise a bit of awareness so that Mm -hmm. other women may not find themselves at 45 or, you know, midlife kind of finally waking up to the fact that they they've all, they've been zombieing through life. So mm-hmm. my my hope is that there there's going to be a bit of awareness around that. So why don't you take us back to the beginning and how you kind of got to this point? Okay, I think the big catalyst in my story really happened in January of 2019. At the time, things were starting to unravel in my life slowly, although I wasn't fully conscious of it. What really pushed me to the edge was that I was facing a daily morning commute of an hour and a half to two hours. And, and, you know, it, it, it was the dead of winter and I was stuck on the 401 in Toronto for any of you who live in Toronto. And I've looked it up. It's North America's busiest highway. And, yeah. but we know for those of us who are Torontonians and who've traveled the or one, the slight raindrop or snowflake will just stop traffic completely. So it was a really harsh winter with a lot of snowfall, very cold. And yeah, it was just my, my commute extended from an hour to an hour and a half or two hours. And I was basically stuck in my car with, with the odometer not going any faster than 10 kilometers at a time, or sometimes it was stopped for, you know, I was completely stopped oh, for a good minute. So I had I, one of these commutes for a short period of time in my life and it was awful. I think I did it for a year, two yeah. years, maybe yeah. I, I couldn't take it anymore. I got a new job. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. Wow. It's yeah. awful. So, you know, so that was my daily morning and I, I describe it as being like my groundhog commute because every morning (laughs) I get up really early as a mother, working mother and facing, you know, knowing that I would be facing this excruciating work commute. And, And it was just, I was not enjoying it. And again, it came at a time when I felt like I had no control over my life. And that was a first for me. I always took pride in having control in my life or so I thought I had control and I I was a bit of a perfectionist and I thought I was doing really well. So it just felt that, that it kind of pushed me to the edge, but at the same time, it was a gift now that I look back on it because I was forced to really confront the reality of what was well of my life. And you think that was just like the time sitting alone in your car, just what else are you going to do 
but think about exactly there were no other distractions when you think of today the amount of distractions that we have right with with the phone or with the television it's very easy if you're feeling uncomfortable about an emotion or if something comes up a memory you you can quickly distract yourself but when Mm -hmm. you're in the car and I had tried you know audiobooks and but when you're when you're stuck in a commute that is hardly moving and you're facing this time pressure of being to work by a certain time and you've got all this other stuff going on in your life just in terms of like kids drop-offs pickups and it's, it's just not not a fun time you know you can't distract yourself so easily. I certainly couldn't mm-hmm. look at my phone. And there was a lot of anger building up. So there was this anger and darkness that was building up in me, which isn't like me. I'm not an angry person. I, I'm pretty optimistic. So I was becoming someone that I didn't recognize. And I mm-hmm. get to work at, at my work location. And I felt that I carried the anger and the darkness with me. I had a very hard time letting it go. And that's when I realized, ooh, this is really affecting me. I couldn't shake it off. And so I remember being in the car during one of these commutes one morning in January of 2019. I was 44. (laughs) And just taking a deep breath in and out, just out of frustration. And on my exhale, I realized that I felt a bit lighter. And so I took another deep breath in and another exhale and I felt a bit lighter. And so I realized, wow, breathing my, and you know, I mean, you hear this all the time, right? Oh, if you're feeling stressed or anxious, take just, just yeah. breathe. take a deep breath. Yeah, calm down, take a breath. But it's not so easy when you're in the, you don't necessarily think about doing that when you're in the situation, especially when you're really angry. Yeah. And when there's a lot of darkness around you. So I started this breathing routine every time I was stuck in traffic. And, and then I eventually added a few other things. So I then started adding with time gratitude because I had heard Oprah one day, I love Oprah, you know, saying yeah. that she had a gratitude Who journal. Yeah, yeah. So I added a gratitude practice to my breathing. And there were some days when I got in the car and I, I resisted doing the the gratitude practice because I was so angry, but then I would force myself to, to stick with it. And some days there were, the only thing I could think of was I'm grateful for this car. Cause if it wasn't for this car, I wouldn't have this job and I wouldn't be able to support my family, blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, but, and, and then I kind of added on to that mindfulness routine in the car. And I didn't know anything about mindfulness at the time. It was just kind of things that I had heard over the years and it was helping The anger was slowly dissolving. And what I started realizing was that under all that anger, (laughs) there was a lot of shit (laughs) that I hadn't dealt with for years. And it was all, it was all just there. And, and I had intentionally suppressed it. Anger was actually from somewhere else, right? Well, yeah, we hear all the time that anger is a secondary emotion, right? Yeah. Yes. It, It was never about the commute. It was about where I was in my life and how unhappy I was. And although I, you know, I didn't know it at the time. I mean, it was a lot to process, but basically the commute ended up being a gift because I was able to kind of, you know, for two hours in the morning, it kind of forced me to, to, to uncover all of that. So basically 
what I discovered was that I really had no control over my life. I never did. I thought I was in control, but I was just in control of being someone that other people approved of. So all my life I had, well, I, I had been living a life based on expectations, basically from a very young age, right? Other people, whenever I showed who I was, there was certain responses that made me realize that that wasn't okay. I was either being too loud, too, too silly, you know, and I think these are messages that girls often get, right? Oh yeah. Like it's like, you're too bossy. Mm -hmm. You're you're being too loud. You're talking too much. You're being too silly. And then when you're, as you get older, you're a bitch. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Exactly. It wasn't necessarily just from people in my close circle. It was also, you know, when I started going to school, right? So I was so hungry for love and acceptance and wanting to belong that I very quickly conformed and suppressed this part of me that was creative and loud and and just silly. And that kind of started a pattern. And of course, I didn't come to that realization right then. If I bring myself back to the car, to the commutes and doing that mindfulness routine, what I basically realized was that I was not in control of my life. I was very unhappy. You know, my, my marriage wasn't working and I was out of solutions as to how to make it better. I had tried. I felt I had tried all these things and nothing was working. I had no control over my commute. So I really felt like things were slowly unraveling and I couldn't escape that fact. I had to really look at it straight in the face and then make some hard decisions. And you know, when you have a family, when you have children, and, and you're living in one of the most expensive cities in, in, in Canada, you know, it's very scary to think about leaving your marriage. Mm. Again, it was a gift in the sense that I was able to kind of work through my anxiety, all my fears, and, and it, it allowed for me, especially through the mindfulness routine that I kind of developed with time, it allowed for me to let go, let go of fear, anxiety, let go of what I thought I should be doing right? Because a woman doesn't leave her marriage, right? That was another Mm. expectation. Well, that's a huge one, even based on what you're saying about like kind of growing up that you just wanted to try to fit in and you kind of led a life where you are following expectations, which I take to mean like you went to school, you got married, you bought a house, you had kids, like the straight agenda, the straight agenda, (laughs) agenda. Right. Like I take that. Exactly. I mean, you didn't have to lay it all out, but (laughs) you're like, I followed expectations. We're like, yeah, we got it. She followed the straight agenda until she realized. Yeah. Because when I, when I first started realizing how unhappy I was, there was a lot of shame associated with that because I had a good life for all the reasons you mentioned. I met all the expectations. So why was I I did what I was supposed to do? Check, check, Mm -hmm. check. Why am I sitting here? unhappy? Come on. Really? Um, well, and for all intents and purposes, you probably had a beautiful home. You lived in a beautiful neighborhood. Yes. Like, Yes, really. I, I wasn't lacking anything except myself. I didn't know who I was. Well, exactly. All of that. So the, the commute was a gift in that I came to that realization. And, you know, 
anyway, so I, 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 I was up. thinking when you were saying like how the commute is a gift, just thinking of myself as a person, building routine is really hard for me if, if it's not driven by an outside force. Mm. And I've never been able to keep a consistent journaling routine or mindfulness or any of it. But like that commute forced you to do it for long enough that it, you built that habit mm -hmm. into a necessity into your life. So I feel like it's also a gift. I mean, just again, depending on the type of person, it's a gift from that respect as well. Yes, all that you learn from it, but just even turning that into like something that you need to be able to have a part of your day. Absolutely. It gave me a bit of control back in, you know, at a time when I felt I had no control because the mornings were also my best time. They, they, my mornings are my best time of day. It's when I'm my most productive. And I was so angry at being stuck in a car doing nothing uh, when I could be doing so much more. So it kind of gave me a purpose. It kind of gave me some control and, uh, and it allowed me to let go of the anger and, 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 and to really dig deep as to what was happening. So yeah, all of that. And then, you know, and then once I made the decision to leave, I mean, there was, you know, a lot of anxiety and fear around that too. So it, yeah. it just helped, you know, kind of come up with, because once you make a decision, you jump off the cliff, but then there's a lot of unknown. Am I going to be okay on a single salary? Are my kids going to be okay in a family that, that is broken? There's a lot of fear and also just going against the grain, you know, as a mother. And, you know, like the whole failure, the whole sense of failure. I wasn't able to, you know, keep my marriage afloat. I wasn't able to keep my family together. Anyway, so there were a lot of feelings that that kind of came, a lot of feelings of shame, a lot of, a lot of things. So, and that was really just the start because I had to kind of go and, and, and realize, you know, why did I get to that point or how did I get to that point? So that process took even longer. It, it was a long process of, of kind of rediscovery and, and in that, I realized that not only did I not know myself, but my voice had been extinguished from a very young age. I was someone who used to love to sing and I would write stories and I'd be very bo boisterous with my expressions. And, and, and all of a sudden I turned into someone who didn't feel comfortable expressing herself, expressing her thoughts, her feelings. I was like chameleon, just, you know changing myself depending on right. who was around me and my feelings did not matter if somebody said something that was offensive and I felt a certain way I would just repress that so I I became like a shell of a person I describe it as zombieing my way through life and you know when you get to a point when you have kids and you're life gets busy, mm -hmm. really, you don't have time to stop and think. So you're just kind of going through the motions. And yeah. that was what was happening. So there was just so much that I went through to get to where I am now. I think that a lot of people would relate to some of the things that you're saying about, like, you said your feelings didn't matter, and your opinions didn't matter. And that even if someone offended you, you would not stand up for yourself. Right. I was very numb. I was just kind of existing and floating for life. And would you say that was personal relationships and work or was it more everything. one, everything? Everything. It's like I was present, but I wasn't. And I was even very disconnected from my body, right? Like as I kind of reconnected with my body, I realized, oh, my, my body sends me messages through emotions, right? And I can feel these things in my body. And that was a big, I mean, I just discovered that about two years ago. I never knew that before, which is 
kind of crazy when you think about it. And I felt very uncomfortable with attention. So I think too, right, when you're in that space of not knowing yourself, any attention that comes to you, you, you feel very uncomfortable. So you'll just deflect that or merge yourself into whatever you think you're supposed to be. But in the process, through that mindfulness routine, I started becoming more interested in mindfulness. And I ended up taking a course through McMaster University. It was online and this was during COVID. So it, you know, the timing was really good. And I learned all about mindful self-compassion. And as women, we hear all the time, right? Take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. be gentle with yourself. I had heard all of those messages too, but it never really resonated. But when I learned about the mindful self-compassion and what really resonated was Kristen Neff, who's one of the founders, had said, make sure to treat yourself the same way that you would treat your best friend. So listen to the messages that you tell yourself and ask yourself, would you say that to your best friend if they were going through what you're going through? And that was a big aha moment for me. And that's when I realized just how abusive I was towards myself. When you're a perfectionist and you have high expectations, you're never doing anything right. So you're always putting yourself down. You can't do anything right as a, as a fellow perfectionist. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Not to the same extent, but I'm also the one that like, kind of how I called you out before this, I'd be like, don't say that about my friend. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. Tisha, if you were to say, I'm a horrible teacher, I'd be like, don't say that about my friend. But would you say that about yourself too, Jen? Like, like, are you, are you saying that when it comes to the way that you talk to yourself? I mean, it leaves a little bit to be desired. I don't think I, I, I'm hard. I mean, I think we're all harder on ourselves. I think that's, I think so too. Yeah. I don't, I am definitely not a recovering perfectionist or any sort of perfectionist. So I don't know that it's as intense Mm -hmm. for me. It's more as it relates to like parenting and, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's something that I've also been more conscious of and working on. And like, I think just in my own journey, in terms of my own story. I don't know. I feel like my own story gave me carte blanche to be like, yeah, my life is, I'm like pretty fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like there was, there's a freedom in that as messed up as it is, there is, there's a freedom in it. It's like, well, of course I can't do this very well. Like look at what I've dealt with. Right. I think it's safe to say, I think we've recorded Jen like over 50 episodes at this point. And Mm -hmm. I, I think it's pretty safe to say where Jen and I stand in terms of feminism Mm. and there's so much of what you're saying that I think has to do with the way that, that we raise girls. Yes. Yes. Because as girls, we're really taught that we aren't supposed to rock the boat too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we should. And, and part of it is like, we're almost taught like avoid conflict because if you are too opinionated or you speak up or you get into a conflict, like that could become dangerous for you. If mm-hmm. you're confrontational in particular with a man, like these are the messages that we're sent growing up is yeah. like, don't so, rock the boat. Don't, don't upset anybody. Don't give anybody a reason to like want to lash out against you. Like it's completely insane. But I do think that 
we send those messages to little girls, like you were saying about being silly, mm-hmm. right? Like girls are supposed to be like quiet and calm and they're not supposed to be boisterous and they're supposed to listen but like it's okay for boys to be running around and jumping climbing on each other Uh, no it's not no it's not just so you know as a mom of boys (laughs) no but and you can see how these like messages that we receive as girls growing up you know translate I guess into just following the agenda doing what's expected of us, trying our best to just fit in. And that somebody could absolutely 45 years later and two kids and a house and all of that go, I don't even know who I am. Like, right? what am I interested in? What am I passionate about? What do I think about that topic? Because we're not really supposed to, you know, we've almost been shut down our own opinions. Right. You, you just kind of do what's expected of you, but what's, and, you know, and, and again, it's, it's society. And, it is. and I think too, you know, as women, we receive these messages that we need to be good at all of our roles, right? To mother, as well as you do your job and you need to do your job as if you're exactly. not a mother and mother as if you don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All of that. And, and, you know, feminism did, I mean, it's paved the way for so many great things. I am so happy and thankful for all of the opportunities that women have today and that, you know, women of my age have. However, at the same time, and I'm probably going to get a bit of heat for this, but I think feminism has also hurt us in some ways because now we have to prove ourselves, right? Yes, women have more opportunities now, but we better not screw it up. Because if we do, then those opportunities might be taken away. It might be like. But I don't think that it's feminism that hurt us. It's because feminism really didn't take us as far as we think it did. Yeah. Because it's still the patriarchy. That's who we still have to prove ourselves to. You know, because we deserve the same opportunities as men. Men take that as, well, you need to perform at the same level as me. Mm. You also still have to be the mom at home when I can show up, want dinner still ready on the table, even though she's going to work all day. And there's still the fear of, like, what men might think. And could that be still taken? in power like, in the majority of You know of what? Cases. Good point. Like, all of a sudden, if Good you're point. a female and you're an executive, you feel like you have to prove that you belong mm. there because the men around you are going to think you don't it's like the whole mom boss girl like boss. of course there's no boy here. boss or dad boss right yeah. um, right this brought up a couple of things for me and I feel like I lost one of them but one of the big things is Tisha and I both watch a lot of television there's yep. a new show on Disney plus that just came out called She-Hulk Yes, and I've heard I haven't it. seen it yet. Okay, but I've heard well, of it. so you have to watch it because basically what happens? It's Bruce Banner who is the Hulk's like alter ego's cousin. She ends up becoming a Hulk, and she's a lawyer, and she's growing in her field. She becomes a Hulk, and so Bruce has this whole thing he needs her to go through to learn how to control her anger, so to control changing. And she, there's this amazing scene where she's like, "I have to control my anger every time I'm catcalled." Every time a man who thinks he knows more than I do in my specialized field mm-hmm. tries to explain it to me. Every time, like, there are so many, and she said something else, and she goes, so basically this entire conversation we're having and what you're doing is really insulting. 
Uh, that you're implying that I can't control my anger. I'm a pro. Uh, <laughs> I'm a woman trying to exist in this right. world. Yeah. Because she's so much better at controlling when she transitions from Jennifer to Hulk and he doesn't understand it. Because he can't understand it. Right. It's like this fundamental difference of going through life as a man. It was just this really. She has a life of experience controlling her yeah, anger. A going lifetime. Through, of going through life as a woman. And it was this amazing moment in this like pop culture television mm-hmm. show that I was like, yes. And I've watched it now twice because I watched it on my own and then <sighs> the kids watched it. And I watched it with them. But I'm but like, that's that is definitely so... something yeah. women are not supposed to be is angry. Right. Mm-hmm. I was I was just gonna bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea that but it's like a very physical and hard way to see how we are like suppressing a part of ourselves as women mm-hmm. to exist. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like the impetus was for this shift where you so it was probably from childhood it sounds like but do you feel like you lost yourself even more when you became a mom I feel like this is like such a common thing that happens because you kind of become invisible as a mom especially in the beginning because it's like like I actually physically had people walk into my house and not even acknowledge me Uh it's funny because you said mom and I thought you were going to say wife like do you think that changed when you became a and you said mother, I thought the next word was going to be oh, wife. I mean, maybe, see, that was not my experience as a wife. So I'm, I, it's really a self-serving thing, but also something that mm-hmm. I've spoken. I feel like here and just in my life, I've spoken with a lot of women about because you, it's wonderful that here in Canada, we get this year of mat leave, but it also like you immerse yourself in it. And if you have a career that is part, a really big part of defining who you are and you step away from it for a year like that, I don't know. I feel Uh like, I mean, and I didn't step back into anything. So I really felt like I had no freaking clue who I was. Like there's not much credence given to how much a woman changes in that time. And how does she find her way back to either well, you can't go back to who you were before, but like, you know, marrying these two pieces of you and finding where that all shakes out. Definitely. And, you know, it's a hard role. I think we don't often talk about how difficult motherhood is. I mean, it's definitely very gratifying and it's, it's a very beautiful experience in so many ways, but it is exhausting. Yes. (laughs) A shit show. It can and be I both. Think... It's both. It's amazing and wonderful mm-hmm. and there's nothing like it. And it's a shit show. But I, I don't think that we talk enough about how much of a shit show it can get because I know that I fell into the trap of looking at other moms and kind of thinking, what's wrong with me that I'm feeling so, dis- you know, I don't even have time to do my hair and yet there's you know this this mom who always looks great all the time Mm. why can't i take better care of myself or because i remember feeling that way i remember feeling as though there were there weren't enough hours in the day um there aren't true and it's important for us to take care of ourselves it's an important message but at the same time that adds an extra pressure Because not only do you have the kids and you might have a career or not, but then you're expected to take care of yourself. So, you know, take care of your skin, your body, your health, your diet, your hair. Well, great, man. Like, 
come on. I think there's also a misconception though of what self-care actually is. So when we spoke with Dr. Robin, she talked to us about self-care and what self-care actually is, is time spent doing things that are within your values. And so Mm. self-care doesn't have to be about making yourself look better. She, a great example is because like at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was puzzling. So she was like, well, we have to do puzzles. And so she was making her family do puzzles, Mm. but really none of them liked the puzzles. And really all they wanted to do was sit on the couch and watch Ted Mm -hmm. Lasso. And so that's what they ended up doing. And that was much more fulfilling for them as a family than making them all sit around a table and do a puzzle. So like if it doesn't make you feel good to, you know, do your seven step skincare routine like it does me, that doesn't make it any more or less valid in either way. That's not how it's presented to us though. Yeah. And I think she was saying like that burnout happens when people are spending not enough time within their values. Mm. So maybe they're right. I'm on their daily commute when really their value has to do with, you know, spending quality time with their family, then that can lead to burnout because you're not spending the time doing the things that actually matter to you. So how long then, you know, you're doing this commute in like January, 2019, how long until you actually ended your marriage oh my uh we ended things february 2019 (laughs) so it was a long time coming but then as i mentioned when you make a decision like this it's a very scary one and then you know you make the decision and then things don't just end that way then you, you, you have to start preparing for the separation and mm-hmm. kind of looking at your finances. And that, that was a very, very scary time. And then how do you tell the kids? And then will the kids be okay? And so it, it was definitely a very difficult time. And we both had to live together for a while because we didn't really have anywhere else to go. So that mm-hmm. was kind of tricky. And I think it's when, you know, when I was finally able to move out and kind of be away from that situation and be on my own that I started realizing just how lost I was. It wasn't just that I lost myself in the marriage and in motherhood. I mean, definitely, I think those kind of got more pronounced, mm-hmm. that, that self event but once I kind of healed through all that that's when I started realizing oh this is kind of going much further back than I had realized Um, right so it's kind of a process of when you do realize that you don't know yourself at all like how do you find yourself back (laughs) I mean it's not easy this is what I want to know so you're 45 I suppose around Mm -hmm. there and you're Mm -hmm. like oh wait I don't know who I am. Where do I start? Yeah. Like, where do you start? Yeah. For me, it was a lot of reconnecting to the inner little girl in me, like who I was as a kid. So it was remembering. So going back in time and kind of realizing, oh, right. Like I, I used to 
laugh a lot. And I had this great imagination and just kind of reconnecting with her. I mean, I was doing meditation, got into yoga. So that helped me to reconnect me to my body. So it was a process, but as I was reconnecting to my body, I was realizing that there was a lot of tension in my throat and I wasn't really sure where that was coming from. And then I finally started realizing, oh, that's from all that voice suppression. I mean, again, it came with time. And then when I was reconnecting to the little girl within me, I started realizing, oh, I used to sing all the time. I used to write. So then I thought maybe I should start doing those things again. And doing that helped. They became safe ways for me to use my voice to express myself because nobody else was reading it. So it was mm-hmm. a safe way for me to really express myself and let loose and just kind of write anything that came up. The singing was another thing that I did in the car or, you know, on my own. And that was another outlet that was like, wow, these different songs, some of the songs were were empowering. Others, I would just play around with my voice a little bit. And then the dancing, I know, Jen, you're, you're into dancing too. Like dancing is a great way to self-express. Yeah. So, so, so it's basically just kind of looking within, reconnecting to, because, you know, when we're born and as little kids, we are like our authentic selves for a while, right? Until Mm -hmm. I feel like until we go to school (laughs) and then, you know, and then we start getting the outside messages in about how, how we're supposed to be or not to be. So it's just kind of reconnecting to that. And then something else that was very important for me was finding my safe people, which Mm -hmm. are your tribe. And I know we hear that a lot, but what I started realizing is that sometimes the people that were closest to me in my life weren't exactly my safe people. My, you know, my safe people were those who allowed me to be myself. Even if, you know, I wasn't fully myself, those times when that real me kind of came through, they, they wouldn't say things or do things that would make me feel like I needed to hide again. And sometimes they would say things to me that about me, that was a positive thing. For example, I remember a friend telling me that I was very creative and I remember just fighting back and going, what are you talking about? That's not me. You're just saying that. And and we had this long discussion about, you know, her trying to prove to me that I was creative. She was like, but look at what you're doing with this and with that. I mean, that's creativity. And I was like, no, it's not. Anyways, it was that back and forth banter, but you know, people who really see you for who you are and they sometimes see Mm -hmm. you better than you see yourself because afterwards what she had said kind of started resonating. And I realized, yes, you're right. There is a creative side of me. And I just suppressed that because there was no space for it. It was too much of a risky thing. So those, and, and, you know, really your safe people, like I believe there's, and I know it's going to sound corny, but I believe there's a light in all of us. And there are Mm -hmm. some people in your life who don't like that light of yours. They feel threatened by it and they will dim it as best Mm -hmm. they can. And I don't think Mm -hmm. they're always aware. It might be that their insecurities flare up. And so they're going to say something or do something where you will dim your light. So I had a lot of people in my life who were dimming my life, who were dimming my light. And then I started becoming more aware of those in my life who allowed my light to shine. But not just that, 
they actually urged me to shine yeah. brighter. Right. And, and they weren't threatened by that. No. Right. right? So mm. it's that, it's that full acceptance and that, that uplifting, you know, when you're around some people and you leave feeling so much lighter and happier, whereas there's other people you leave and you kind of feel a little down or empty or whatever, like the people whose presence you're in that leave you feeling lighter and happier, those are your safe people. So, you know, it became important for me to identify those safe people because I could be myself with them and they, you know, they, they validated who I was and, and they made, they accepted who I was in that way. So finding my safe people was important, finding safe ways to use my voice or to self-express and the self-compassion was important too. Like just kind of, again, be more aware of how I spoke about myself and to myself. And that led the way towards accepting who I was because for the longest time, I would compare myself to other people and say, I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. I need to be more like this, right? Not, not, not allowing myself to just accept who I was. So as I was, as the real me was surfacing and I feel like, okay, I kind of like this part, but I want to be more like that, but I don't really like that. It was kind of just with the self-compassion. It was, it was kind of just making way towards that, but I don't even like baking. So who cares if I'm not good at it? Who cares Mm -hmm. if I'm the mom who doesn't bake? I don't like it. And that's okay. (laughs) Right? Like, so, so the self-compassion was, was also huge. Just kind of letting go of those pieces that I felt I needed to be good at as a woman, as a mother, as a, you know, as, as a whatever. And, and then just accepting those parts that were really a part of me, even if, you know, it wasn't totally kind of accepted for for women and that led to self-love and lately so I've been doing these have you heard of breathwork classes I have I haven't done them but oh my gosh so a friend told me about breathwork classes and and I've been doing them and they're once a month and wow, they are really transformative. Anyway. So um, I know you don't like the cold, but I actually think you would really enjoy cold dipping. No, I've heard, I knew you were going to say that. No, I, well, I've heard a lot about it and I've heard many of the benefits and I will not say that I will never try it, but <laughs> it's definitely not something <laughs> that I'm dying to try. Well, but so you do it, Jen? Not not regularly, not enough. But it's some. You can also do like a contrast shower, but that I don't like that. I I would much rather honestly like I'd rather submerge like completely go into a body of water than to have cold shower. Like that is not pleasant for me. But yeah, it's it's pretty great. I've heard mm-hmm. it's all about like your nervous system, right? Like regulating it. I've heard so many great things about it and I'm sure I'll try it one day. I, I, I thinking about it makes me cringe because I, I hate the cold. The breathwork classes kind of do that too. You bring your- Well, there's like a nervous. lot of people who like kind of combine them. Oh. Combine the breathwork. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. The cold dipping. Yes. And then usually there's like a sauna element as well. You mean after the cold dipping? And I think depending like, on what, what, what you're doing, yeah. I would do the sauna thing. Since Jen and I first met you, we've seen you like explore so many different like facets of yourself. And so I've seen 
that you like went to a concert by yourself. Oh yes, I loved that. You started yes. dragon boat racing. Right. You co-authored a book. Like two, totally... actually, there's another one coming out in January. Oh yeah, two oh, yes. with two uh, Jessica books. Buchanan. Yeah. Yes. There's just been like I have I... been witness mostly through social media, but I feel like I've been witness to to so many changes and so many different ways that you've been like learning to express yourself and explore maybe what your interests are and letting go of those expectations that we all have built up to. And I just, I guess, wanted to say that I think it's really, really beautiful. And I feel very grateful to have been able to like see those things and have those conversations with you. And I think it's really inspiring to a lot of other people who, you know, are maybe middle-aged, maybe they're younger, but who don't know who they are and don't know how to find their voice. And one of the things, I mean, I've been thinking about lots of things while I'm listening to you talk. Okay. So one of the things I wondered about just in terms of you learning to express yourself a little bit more, do you feel like you have found your voice around those people who maybe weren't allowing you to do that? Like you're co-parenting now with your ex-husband, like, have you found your voice? Have you found your way to be able to like share your opinions with him or with those friends who were dimming your light? Have you learn to find your voice or do you just kind of limit your contact with them? Where are you with that? So, you know, the whole journey with my voice, I mean, it's been a long one and and it's ongoing. It's ongoing Mm -hmm. um, because of the age that I'm at. So the self-advocating is an area that is still an area of struggle. Although, you know, I'm getting back, I'm dating and, you know, I, been trying to use a lot of my self-advocating in that area. And I feel that it's, you know, it's a good time to practice it. When it comes to other people close to me, it's a little bit more difficult, but I am, I am more aware of it. And sometimes I just need the time to really, because I get stuck on the language and it's so interesting because I'm a speech language pathologist and communication is, is what I do. But when it comes to me and I'm so scared of hurting other people. So I I, Mm -hmm. want to find the proper way of doing it. So that is an area of continued development. I've come a long way, but I recognize that I still have a long way to go. And I'm trying to be compassionate with myself in that area. Another area that, you know, I still feel uncomfortable with with attention, right? So if I, if I'm center stage or whatever, and everybody's looking at me, yes, that, that, or, you know, just even listening to myself, I probably won't listen to this podcast <laughs> because I cringe when I hear my voice. I had done this thing online and, and I listened to it after, and my stomach was a knot for a good month afterwards. And I thought, I can't, I'm not ready. I'm not at that stage yet. I've taken, I'm now taking singing lessons, which was another, it's another big jump off mm-hmm. a high cliff because I'm singing in front of my vocal instructor. And I, when I sing, I'm very careful that nobody else is around listening. And now she's talking about, you know, Oh, around Christmas, we she wants you to perform. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, no, it's never going to happen. I still have a long, a long ways to go. And the whole, so I'm doing Tisha, what you were referring to in terms of how I'm 
I'm, I'm getting out of my comfort zone and, and mm. talking about all these experiences. Last summer, I started blogging socially and that was a big jump off the cliff. And yeah. I'm still uncomfortable sometimes. Like I'll, I'll post something up and then I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't look <laughs> at it because I, I, I'm so self-conscious and it was so uncomfortable for me. But that's another area where I'm pushing myself. I'm just tired of being in the comfort zone of just kind of, you know, I'm trying to live my life in a way where I am true to myself. And I recognize now the fear and the anxiety every time I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. It's still paralyzing. And sometimes I'm not able to do it. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. I need to take small steps. Like the singing. I will sing in front of people one day. (laughs) My hope is that. I was talking to Maureen about joining a band the other day. I'm like, so, you know, what's the process? Because they have bands there that, that kind of practice together. And I thought that would be fun to do. But then when she started fun, you'd rock it. (laughs) How do you know? You've never heard me sing. (laughs) Just anyhow, your personality. But then when she like you could have presence (laughs) on stage. But then when she started telling me the steps, then I start, you know, the panic started rising. Like, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do that. But I'm hopeful I'll get there one day, like baby steps. But yeah, definitely. It's, it's been a long process and it's ongoing. You need to just do it. <laughs> well, that's what I'm doing with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, but like well, as far as like putting yourself like out there. scary. Totally. I mean, it is. But it's, I think, like a big misconception that I think people in general have. And I, I'm going to just relate it to my own experience because I can't relate to anybody else's. But like. I, I always wonder if people think when I post dance videos that it's because I think I'm like badass and it's more because it's just like fun and it is mm. actually really uncomfortable for me to post. Mm. Like I don't post them because I think they're awesome. I mean, I usually post the one that I think is like the best of the ones that I videos I took, but like, it's not because like, oh, look at how amazing I am. It's because it is uncomfortable, but it's fun. And so you can do fun things and you can have fun, but it can still be uncomfortable. And maybe it needs to be a little uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. And like the social media blocking is exactly that. (laughs) Yeah. Like I even had a conversation with my eldest about, because he is nervous about just about everything he does. And, and we were, I think we were going to a show the other night and I was like, Hey, I got to tell you something. And he was like, yeah, I was like, I know you get like nervous about new things and, and like it, they can be scary. And I was like, just so you know, mommy's scared almost all the time. That was a good message to share with your son. Like yeah. almost all the time. Like when we go somewhere as a family that we haven't been before and I don't know like where I'm supposed to park the car, exactly where I'm supposed to go. Like I am like so mm-hmm. scared inside mm-hmm. that I'm right. going to do the wrong thing. But we do I, it anyway. You know what? It's yeah. so interesting because I, I think we don't, I feel that way. I would imagine most people feel that way when I'm like going somewhere different, like the parking uh-huh. thing that you mentioned, huge. Like, I don't know where uh-huh. I'm going to park if I'm going to find a good spot. Oh my gosh. And what if I have to parallel park? Like, wow, the lot going on there. But I don't think we share those moments no. with, with other people or no. with our children. No. But that, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh yeah, the parking, like I'm nervous about that all of the time. I took my kids somewhere new today that I'd never been before. And I got there and I'm like, I don't know where to go. And I like walked up to the counter. I'm like, so I've never been here before. I really don't know what to do. <laughs> like, 
And that can be so that stressful to do. But even yeah. though, like, generally you're going up to somebody whose job it is to tell you where to go. <laughs> totally. But it's still really scary. And even, you know, posting things that you've wrote and feelings and thoughts and whatever you've written on mm. social media, like, and on Instagram, things like that, that's kind of what it's there for. But it doesn't um, make it any less no any scary. No, and I think that's why it's so important to talk about, you know, how it really mm. feels. Because mm -hmm. I think so many of us, again, we we judge, we see other people doing all these things and we think, well, that's because they're brave or they just, they're good at that or whatever. It comes easy to them. Not so much. Like it's, you know, and I've been very candid in my posts about how, how difficult it is, you know, and, and how it's like jumping off the cliff because. Um, you went to a concert alone. I mean, my mind was blown <laughs> and also I was so proud of you. Oh, like, thank you. I was proud yeah. of myself too. Yeah. And so you should be, I mean, you like yeah. the band, right? Yeah. So like you're going to have something in common with the people who are there. I've, I've been going on my own since, like I've, I've gone to see them again alone. Anyways, I, and I, and I think too, of my kids, right? Like of, of, of the girls, I think, you know, if they see me doing all these things, hopefully, you know, they'll be, and, and I, you know, like you, Jen, I do tell them it's not easy. And I think it's so important for our kids to know that because they mm -hmm. see us doing all these things and they think we're perfect and they they have wow like you know to live up to that and it's you know? so and easy I, to look at another woman and be like oh she's so confident like yes yes and I think you know the whole shame thing I I have I mean I read a lot of Brene Brown I love her and she talks so much about shame and I think it's time to just talk openly about things and I think the more we talk about things the more we can eradicate well not eradicate but dissolve shame because mm -hmm. I think a lot of us live with shame about things right but I can't, I can't remember it's being a human I can't remember if it was on the show or it was another conversation I was having but imposter syndrome came up and mm. it was like it's not real it's like a symptom mm -hmm. of the was it the patriarchy or white supremacy it was one of the two because it's always one of those two. it's was it with jess you Sims? can go back and you can listen to allison venditti <gasps> Al, that's right it was allison and she was talking about you know a lacking confidence or something i said do you think that was a bit of imposter syndrome and she shut me down so fast she was like no and that's not real that's not a thing she's like oh. it's not real it's not a thing it's something that we apply to women. Like we never would say that a man no. has imposter syndrome. We only like suggest that women who are in, you know, powerful positions have imposter syndrome and like, stop. No. She was just like, stop. This is ridiculous. We're not talking about imposter syndrome anymore. It is like something we made up to make women who have like power to actually like, to, like feel I don't know. It well, it like, encourages us to like compare ourselves to one another because you feel like an oh, imposter because you think right. somebody is doing it better than than right. you, right? But like, and like, yeah, and it's always another like woman would, or somebody else or a man is doing it better. So like, why should I do it? And she's you know? like, a man would never think like, oh, I'm an imposter. Oh. I don't really belong here, right? Doing this or talking about this, and that women need to like let go of that. And that the only women that we hear talk about that are women who have, you know, positions of power, privilege, Interesting. prestige. That's a very good point. I'm like, I've never thought about that as like only something that we talk about, or we only hear women talk about having imposter syndrome. 
But it's you know true what? when you think about it. At the very beginning of the episode, I made reference to that I'd seen you in person once. And it's because I ran into you at a local bar and I was there with some oh, other moms. Right. And you oh, were and on I was a on date. a date. <laughs> so we're coming back full circle to your dating. And That's I remember true. you saying like, you know what? He was like, I think you said, you know, he was a really nice guy, but I wasn't feeling yeah. it. And so I don't think I'll go out with him again. Yeah. And I admired having you having that conviction. And I don't know what it's like to date at our age. But I remember dating in my 20s, and I think I was probably a lot more forgiving than I should have been, and probably a lot less picky than I should have been. Same here. And I had, I remember in my 20s, just thinking, okay, TikTok, TikTok, you know, I'm, I'm not getting any younger, and I want to be a mother, and all my friends are getting married, or, you know, mm-hmm. so definitely for me, I can only speak of myself, that played a part into, you know, my, like, just the man that I dated, right, I, I wasn't just mm-hmm. either, but, you know, I took a dating course back in February, because I did, because, I mean, I was going through all this self-healing journey, but, I mean, it's such a long process and I'm still healing, but I was, I, you know, I wasn't meeting the right people. And I started recognizing that I had this anxious attachment style. I don't know if you've heard of all these attachment styles Mm -hmm. and anyhow. So I did a bit of digging to find out more. And then I realized, oh, like I kind of understood why, why I had that and, and why I wasn't picking the right people. And so I took this dating course online and oh my gosh, it was transformative. One what is the, a dating course? <laughs> it basically talks it. about, you know, putting yourself first in the dating world and, you know, red flags, green flags. I mean, I knew a bit about that. It talks about different attachment styles. But the Did big you thing- learn about love bombing? You have to be careful. Oh yeah. Love bombing. I mean, I, I knew a bit about that already, but yeah, it talks about that. But I think for me, the biggest like aha, the mind blown thing was you do the choosing. You do not let the others do the choosing. You're the one who's, do- you're the one who's doing the choosing. Don't wait so for someone me- to choose you. You choose Exactly. Yeah. So up until that. That's how I live point, my life. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic because I was doing it completely wrong up until that point. And again, it's that whole mm-hmm. conforming, right? Wanting yeah. to please, wanting to be chosen, wanting to. So up until that point, I was, yeah, I was just, I was changing a bit of myself, even though it wasn't as, as profound as before, because I was a bit aware that I was doing that, but to get the person to choose me, mm-hmm. you know, forget about Wait if I really liked the person. It was just, are they going to just choose wanted me? them to choose me? Yeah. 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 So well, that's I, part of like that people pleasing, I think. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's that. Yeah. yeah. So, so when I saw you Tisha, at the, at the bar, I was like, yeah, no, I'm the one doing the choosing now. Right. Like it kind of like, I love it. Change See, the way that mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I don't know that that actually is not something that I have had a problem with. 
in life. You are like, special, Jen. I well, no, like, but when I would go, like, in my twenties, when I, I mean, I'm something. Jen has like um, so much self conviction, though. Like, I think that's the way. I think it's very healthy, and I think it is. You know, I mean, I still question myself a whole women. bunch. I question myself a lot. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. I think I'm the shit all the time, but I definitely like there were those moments when I'd be like feeling good, and when I was in my twenties, I'd walk into the bar, and like this is why I I hate online dating because I was really good at picking up people at bars like oh. really good at it so you and i'd be like bar and i'd be like get a babysitter yeah, go let's, to the bar let's go out jen D- let's can go you out do dancing. that in your 40s i'll go out dancing like i'll go out i don't know that we'll meet anyone we i don't know that, that i'll meet anyone but like but like i could walk into like the bars that everybody would go to in their 20s and like make eye contact with someone across the bar and be like yeah it's gonna be him tonight yeah and wow. like he's about to buy me a drink yeah or like I loved I loved going to the bar for drinks like going up to the bar be like I got this round and I'd go up and inevitably somebody would buy me a drink and I wasn't I wasn't so cocky that like I wouldn't bring a wallet like you know like you see right or whatever like I'm not paying for anything tonight It, it wasn't even about that per se but I could just strike up a conversation with someone and like be like yeah yeah you're gonna you're gonna get this for me right now it sounds like you're very you know self assured which I love. I think it depends on the circumstance and the, like, all of that. If I, Mm -hmm. like, conversely, walking into, like, a networking event, oh, my God, I'd rather die. Right. And have to make small talk in that way. In Uh. a noisy bar with a cute guy. I got that. You know what it is? Because they're so (laughs) small-minded. You smile at them, and that's all. Yeah, I know. Easy I done. Mean, you know, you like push them up a little, like <laughs> show a little bit of skin, and you know, yeah. I mean, which when you think about it in that context, how the fuck did we let them take control? Yeah, well, I mean, look at all that we do. Come on, as women, right? Okay, I mean, I don't know why women. I mean, we should be ruling the world. And I think that's why they've been repressing us for all these years is because they just know how strong and powerful we are. Yeah, and they should be. Yeah. Very intimidating. If you could pick one nugget that you would hope that a listener would take away from hearing your story. Mm, There are so many of them, but if I had to pick one, it would be to put themselves first and to really, I really hope that women believe in their worth that they are worthy to put themselves first and to make sure that they, you know, that they stay connected to who they are. Mm -hmm. Because for me, reconnecting to myself has been the biggest gift that I could have given to myself. Because I I feel like, you know, I've rediscovered my worth and I'm living a life of purpose. And I've, you know, so I've given myself back to me and to the people in my life, especially my children. So yes, that is the one thing that I hope that women take away from this is yeah. that, that they are worthy of putting themselves first. And if they do feel a little lost wherever they are in their lives to, you know, to maybe not be afraid to go on that journey to rediscover parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. And I, I really like that you didn't just leave it at put yourself first 
because mm-hmm. it's so easy to say that, but that, mm-hmm. that element of mm-hmm. believing you are worthy mm-hmm. of putting yourself first, yes. mm-hmm. I think is a huge block for a lot of people. Yeah. We're like, I know I should put myself first, but like believing that you're worthy to do so. And if you struggle with that, that's where the self-compassion comes in Mm -hmm. or can help. Right. So remembering that, you know, wait a minute, am I talking to myself in the way that like, would I say this to my friend, what Mm -hmm. I just said to myself, if my friend was going through this, that, that was like instrumental for me in changing the way that I thought about myself and slowly leading to me feeling worthy. Mm -hmm. So self-compassion is a big one. I know we hear a lot about it, but very important for women. Yeah, I agree so much. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. And I really look forward to where this journey takes you because I know that there are just amazing things coming up for you. I'm excited. Yes. I'm very excited to see where this journey is taking me. And thank you so much for having me. And I just also want to say, if it's only been a year that we've met each other, I remember telling you both, I think it was during book. That you were writing a book. Yes. And I was now you have two coming out. Right. And I was saying, I can't do it. I remember. And then I think it was you, Jen, who said, stop that. Tell yourself that was Jen for sure. I am a writer. You were saying, tell yourself, I am a writer and you will start believing it. And that was such good, badass advice. I can't take it. My own <laughs> advice, though, you guys. Jen, come on. I know, okay, I know, listen. I know. Jen is Hopefully. Jen is like the ultimate hype girl. She really is. Because everybody needs a hype girl. Yeah. How about becoming a hype girl for yourself? I know, I know. I, I need to be better at that. I think the things I say to other people are I have a lot to do with the things I need to say to myself and listen to myself. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The next time you you're thinking of writing and you're telling yourself, ah, I can't do it. Think of me and what you said to me and that's how true. much that's helped and turn it mm-hmm. back to you, hopefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyhow. So thank awesome. you both. Thank you. You've changed my life in many ways. So thank ah. you. Thanks for listening to the Now What Pod. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. You can find us on social media at the Now What Pod. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your story matters and you do too.